listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 R. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast. This is from the 9th of April to the 13th of April. Uh, a few highlights this week. We got to chat to Gurumul's music collaborator and producer, Michael Honan, about the upcoming documentary about Gurumul. Also, we chatted to Scout Boxall, who was a finalist in the Royal Comedy Competition happening this week and also um, I told a little story about a recital that I went to uh, featuring a guy called George. Yes and for the Wednesday this week I was given the task of wearing some of those um, what do you call those magic beads? Uh, They were rosary beads and you weren't told to wear them you just (laughs) had to pray the rosary. (laughs) Anyway so and we spoke to Larissa Dubesky um, about Low-end food being used in high-end setting, particularly Vegemite. And get well soon, Sarah. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. The Raw Comedy National Grand Final is coming up this Sunday on 15th of April at the Melbourne Town Hall. One of the finalists is our next guest, Scout Boxer. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hello, thank you for having me. You've been doing stand-up for, what, three months and now you're in the grand final. That's quite a start to a career. Yeah. I hope, <laughs> I hope, I hope I haven't peaked. <laughs> that would be great. Um, I did I did improv and stuff beforehand um, and I've been doing, like, bits and pieces of theatre for a couple of years now. Um, but, yeah, I gave stand-up a crack this year and, it's yeah, been nuts. It's been really w- Was there anything in particular that made you go, oh, I'm, I'm going to have a go at this? Um, seeing Tessa Waters yep. perform two years ago. So um, she had a show called Fully Sick and it was just her for an hour doing this like insane high octane clowning comedic performance it was just cooked and I was just sitting in the audience being like I want to do that for a living that'd be great awesome so yeah Uh, you were very lucky that she actually became one of your mentors yes she's I'm doing her mentorship program this year along with about 20 other young emerging artists comedians filmmakers script writers everything what does that involve though so basically she provides um she like provides professional and artistic development and a lot of that is like she's just super savvy and has been in the industry and so can give you a leg up Mm. where you might not know who to contact if you want to do something she's also an absolute gun at stuff like festival applications grant applications all the paperwork and administrative stuff that goes along with being an emerging artist that you might not know how to navigate yeah things that took me 10 years to figure out (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah you get to sort of you get a kind of shortcut on that which is really awesome so as you said you've been doing improv and other stuff for a long time Mm -hmm. what's been the steepest part of the learning curve in sort of reinventing yourself as a stand-up um hmm i think do you feel like you have reinvented yourself though? Or are you just being you up on stage? I don't I don't know. I feel like I'm just doing lots of weird weird character bits. Yeah. They're all like bits that I will just do with my mates and then take sort of to the nth degree on stage. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure really. Um I think one of the biggest things is like yeah, that vulnerability of just being 
by yourself on stage and knowing that like no one else is going to step out. Like in improv, there's always someone else who can step out yeah, and kind right. of help you out whenever you're, whenever you're bombing or failing. Mm. But when you're bombing or failing, you're like, no, oh, I just got to sit with this now and write it out for the next <laughs> two minutes. Oh, great. <laughs> like you do some pretty great characters. Um, I guess did those characters come from from improv like and you've just kind of fleshed them out a little bit more yeah definitely tell I, us about um kim kim winton so uh kim winton is tim winton's <laughs> little brother who um i discovered in an old no he's his character and um uh he he hasn't been as critically or uh, commercially successful as tim winton but i i reckon he's got a lot to offer the australian literary scene um, I tend to read out one of my favourite short stories of his called uh, Flip's First Bushfire <laughs> and it goes a little something like, Can, Flip, can, said Brett. As I stood rooted to the spot on the jetty, I was still afraid of the water ever since the rip took blue, our old Kelpie sheepdog. He was blind in one eye, so all he could do was swim in circles as if he was rounding up the seagulls. What's keeping you, Flip? <laughs> cried Brett. As I gripped the beach cricket bat that Brett had hewn from a nearby scribbly gum, I was reminded of the last day of school that year when Sarah Dawes let me cup her left breast behind the cricket shed. Sarah's that was lost where it. I got the nickname Kappa. <laughs> Anyway, oh and God. then and then Flip goes on to reveal that Brett is indeed not his real dad. <laughs> he runs into the bush, tries to start a campfire to eat some oval teenies, and then he starts a bushfire, and that's where Flip's first bushfire happened. Oh my God! Okay, I've listened to that all day. I think he's got a great, great future. The Miles I love Kimmy Winton. I could ride him all day. Oh, so good. Oh wow. <laughs> So was was comedy always something you thought you were going to do? Like if you were, you know had a background in theatre, was it or something that was it always going to happen? Not, no, not really. I thought I, I thought I might be a serious actor <laughs> for a few months in the first year of uni when I got into a play and I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm so talented. I can be Guildenstern and Hamlet. That'd be great. Um, and then I think seeing more and more people perform, like seeing Zoe Coombs-Mars Trigger Warning, seeing Tessa Waters performing, both of those were moments when I was like, I, that would be incredible to do mm. on stage. And that was when I started sort of thinking about it and working towards doing that myself. How, uh, oh, I was just going to say, how did you start testing your material then? Um, just a lot of open mic nights. Yeah, right. And my housemate. And your housemate. <laughs> <laughs> my housemate and my girlfriend have cupped a lot over the last couple of months, including I have a bit which is where I pretend to be a flaccid penis inside a pink oh. turtleneck. Um, and my girlfriend can't watch anymore. She's like, I love you. I support you. I can't see Flassy one more time. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. Tell us about when when you first did Raw and you got through the, the first heat, what what was that like? Talk talk us through the feelings and stuff that happened. Um, that was incredible. I had used Raw as kind of um, as like a benchmark to make me write material and make me create something within a couple of months because I knew otherwise I would never get around to it and I'll keep putting it off. So then I was like, well, if I've got this deadline, then I have to have five minutes by then. And then I got through and I was like, what? And then it was just, it was incredible. Like, yeah, 
Mm. Just and like raw, every stage of like the raw competition is such a good gig because there are like a bunch of people who've come there and paid to laugh. So like everyone's so on board and it's such a generous room. Um, yeah, it is pretty exciting. And what's what's the next step? Um, so after the finals on the weekend, then I've had a couple of guest spots in the comedy festival and then. I'm going to go to Edinburgh Fringe, not to perform, but just to, like, see a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, excellent. I'm going to try to do the um, Philippe Gollier Intensive Summer Course, which I know is, like, a walking stereotype for comedians <laughs> in Melbourne. Um, but I really want to learn more about clowning and physical comedy and then try to have a split show or a solo show next year. Good oh, plans. Look at that. So the next thing coming up is the comedy, the Raw Comedy Final is this Sunday. What's your strategy for that? Yep. Um, go with, yeah, I think um, someone gave me good advice, which was just go with your greatest hits. Don't yep. try out new material <laughs> and just be like, oh, maybe it'll be amazing. Like, no, just go with what you know works. Um, I think Victoria's got a pretty good shot because we've got three of us. Mm. So we've stacked the lineup a little bit. Um, and it was me and Gavin Semple who got through to the finals and then Matthew Vasquez also got wild carded. So... Yeah. It's all very exciting. Yes. Amazing. People can jump on the comedyfestival.com.au slash raw for tickets on the Melbourne Town Hall Sunday, 15th April at 5pm. You can go along and you can see performing now Scout Boxall. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much, guys. Three triple R. Uh, so on the weekend, I um, went to a recital, uh, like a, it was a choir. I went oh. to watch the choir, um, had a wonderful time. Uh, so the choir, it, it was the Glen Eyre Choir, and it's, I've been to a couple of their recitals, um, and I love it. Uh, I go because Cats. Dad is is in this choir, so you know it's oh, a bit that's of really a lovely. Yeah. I didn't even know recitals were a thing that still happened. Oh mate, if what? you find out that w- there's a recital on, get to it. I well, reckon. What is the recital? What does it mean? It's so like a concert. Just means a concert. Is that what? It- I don't know. I think so. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds I, like a, I think it's a fancy word for a, yeah a performance a performance by someone. Yeah, I love it. Like a school recital. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, that's what I think of when I hear recitals. Yeah, school mm. recitals. Uh, I love them as well. Like I've been to plenty of those. And anyway, I went along to the this one, and they had uh, they were doing songs. That it was called "Oh George," and they um, were just doing things that had been composed by people called George. This so. is it, <laughs> That's a great I really idea. like that. And actually, the definition of a recital is a performance or program of music by a soloist or or small group. So. It's a program that would make it the program of music. They're all oh, by George. Oh. There, you, there go. you go. So, and they called it by George. So oh no, oh George. Anyway, just they, trying to think of different Georges. Well, George the, Michael. George Michael. Uh, George Gershwin. The best George of all. Yes. Well, they only did about three or four of them. So they had George Handel, Handel, um, George Bizet, Bizet. Okay. I'm probably mm-hmm. saying all of these wrong. Um, and then there was another George. Um, and I've forgotten his last name, which is bad because th- th- this George was sitting right behind us. Oh, wow. So it was an Australian composer um, and well, most well known for his, um, he composed the music, I've read it in the handbook, he composed the music for the TV series Rush. Oh, oh my God, that's so <laughs> excellent. 
<laughs> so cool. Didn't you love that? I loved Rush. Oh, I'm I a feel big like we've talked about this before. Rush, yeah. Because yeah. I found, I think that I found it on, on, on Netflix or Stan or something. It was like, oh my God. And we started going through the whole series. Anyway, that's different. So <laughs> I was very, he, he had composed other things, operas and, and whatnot, but I was very excited by the Rush. Love it. Um, so he was sitting b- beside us and the uh, conductor of the choir um, is the most amazing character. She's just the – if you imagine going to a private girls' school and there is a <laughs> – and there's a – imagine the musical director of a private girls' school. Yes. That's, that's her. Wow. Right? Was she wearing a statement throw? Oh, you know, a shawl? Is there a statement shawl? (laughs) I think it was um, maybe too warm for it on Sunday. Uh, but absolutely, she it would not be, um, you know, you could absolutely see her wearing one of those. And she lo- loves to talk a lot between the songs and, you know, you need to, this is from, you know, this musical and you need to think, you need to use your imagination about what's happening. And but I'm like, oh, this is, okay, great, st- sing, just sing. I, I can get it, I'm on, I'm on board. <laughs> and then at one stage she walks over and, you know, because she said, we're very lucky to have George here with how are, and then, and uh, when they got to the the bits where they were um, about to sing his pieces, because um, at first at the, at the start he, they'd given him a shout out, and he kind of just sat there at the back, and he's ninety years old. Wow! Yeah. So he kind of just sat up the back, was like, oh, g'day. and then and then when it got to his part where they, you know, where they were singing his songs, um, his composers, uh, she walked over to him with the microphone and went, and so she's standing right next to me, and I'm like, oh, this is full on. <laughs> and then she said, and George is here, and happy birthday, George, and had wanted to talk to him, and he's just sitting there going, nah, I'm not. <laughs> Thought she said no, he was not engaged. It's, it's good enough that I'm yeah. here, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> she, thought she you were about to say that she made him sing. She <laughs> the microphone. Now George's going to do a yeah. solo. But she was, you know, uh, it was awful, you know, and she said, well, perhaps um, if we do the piece well, you would come up and, you know, say a few words. And he went, all right, I'll do that. Um, so uh, then they went and. If we do the piece well. <laughs> I know, I'm like, oh, no pressure. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> so, so then they, they started uh, singing. It was amazing and um, unfortunately they didn't do the theme from Rush but oh. that's fine. Uh, and then so they were singing and then halfway through one of the songs he just stands up and starts walking towards the front <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> what? You're rushing the stage yeah. really slowly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, but he walks up and then I notice on the side there is a huge bass drum, like a big, you know, you hit it on the side drum. So he went over and just picked that up and sat no. on the side and then, you know, every now and again would bang it and it seemed it seemed yeah, like it was time, out of time. No, well, here's the thing. It, it, we thought it was out of time but it turns out that he was trying to get the rest of the choir in time. Oh because oh they were no. they were out this of, is so good. 
Why was out of time? <laughs> Cranky George. <laughs> George had to step in and take matters in his own hands. It was so... Because I was like... I cannot, this is <laughs> excruciatingly embarrassing. I can't deal with it. And how did the choir, the head of the choir respond? Oh, no. she was. Uh, I, they must have known that he was going to come over and, and join in. I think... Because he'd been rehearsing with them and all stuff. Right. I think it was all... You know, they were. It wasn't just him being really passive aggressive. Yeah. (laughs) From my position, it was like, oh my God, what's going on? But it was, you know, talking to Kat's dad afterwards, he was like, oh no, he was, you know. Um, he said, because I said, was he in time? And he goes, and he said, no, we were actually out of time and that was him trying to get us in, in time. time. Um, so they were just, yeah, slightly out. But, oh, I thoroughly enjoyed but it. But did he make his speech at the end? No, I didn't say <laughs> Three. Triple. Got you into Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. A new documentary called Grummel is being released on April 25th in cinemas nationally with a special Triple R subscriber film screening on the 24th. It's about the life and music of Jeffrey Grummel Unipingo. To talk about it, we're joined by Grummel's musical collaborator and producer Michael Honan. Welcome to Breakfasters. Oh, it's nice to be here with so many other people. <laughs> <laughs> Grimmel died tragically last year. I've read that he approved the film himself three days before his death. What was his reaction to hearing the film for the first time? Well, we've been working on his album and the film for four years. And we, I wanted to keep him fully involved. So I would get audio outputs of the film and load them onto his iPod and he would listen. So as the film was being built and developed he would listen to bits and pieces um yeah over over the well the last two years of his life he did you uh moved up to um went to work with him um and up in uh, far east arnhem land uh what led you to to be working up there and um tell us about like the the first time that you met gurumul and the relationship that then produced from from that uh, well, yeah, I was a Melbourneian um, and visited Triple R many times as <laughs> a member of the Killjoys oh, a long time back. ago. Um, but I'd done lots of different forms of music and eventually thought, oh, there's, there's got to be more going on in Australia and than what I know growing up as a, someone in Melbourne knowing nothing about original songs or stories from here. So I went to Darwin in a Ford ZC. I drove up there with my double bass <laughs> and ended up at Elko Island about um, a year later. And it was part of a uni music industry course that they ran out bush in different remote locations. And this band was forming and after, after something had happened, some vibe had happened, they went and got, they went and got him and brought him to meet me and it was like this bit of gold they walked into the room with going, you, you've got to meet him and he's going to be in our band. And that ended up being Saltwater Band um, who was a really successful band for 10 years before G and I ended up deciding on doing a solo project. Uh, in the, f- the film starts with this really great 
a moment during, I think, an ABC interview that's kind of quite close to the start of the film where Grumble's being interviewed for the seven, or maybe the 7.30 report. And um, he, and you're sitting next to him and in, in, he doesn't want to answer any of the questions that are being asked of him. And, and then we kind of go on to see how you become, uh, I guess, a voice for Grumble mm. in these kinds of situations. How did that come to be and how did you become comfortable with taking on that role? Because you do talk about that being a little bit of a, an issue for you at first. Yeah, imagine um, being the res- given the responsibility of speaking about another culture and a culture that's so strong and amazing and, you know, you being a white fella from Melbourne and you're just going, okay. Yeah. Um, but with any interview that we do, and I'm, I'm touring with his brother at the moment um, for the film and the album and he doesn't speak much either and so it's like, no, no, you speak. And it's kind of like, well, this this media world is our world really and, mm. it, and it's they want us to use it to present their story. Um, but I suppose I'm like um, a window in for, for us to, to understand more about everything that they sing about and talk about. What is, why did Gurumal trust you to do that, do you think? Uh, I, I think it was just long, long process of um, working together over three or four albums with his band. Mm. And then when the solo project happened, being blind, he always wanted... Um, someone to lead him. So I ended up being the person touring with him and so leading him. And when you get to know someone, when you're leading them around all day and all night, basically you get you form this other form of trust. And I haven't worked with any other blind person before, so it was, it was all new experience for me. You know, it was beyond a musical experience. It's like this really intimate... Um, intimate thing that you form between two people you're their eyes and you're telling them more about what's going on than what they can necessarily pick up in the room yeah the documentary shows you trying to convince Grumal to make a solo record and he's clearly not keen at <laughs> first and throughout the movie it becomes clear that he's not interested in traditional commercial success in the way that we would normally think about what did music mean to him uh, it was just an expression of culture, but it was also fun. And he, he at one stage, I, he said, oh, I'm not married. I've, I've just got a girlfriend. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, because music's my um, number one thing in my life and that's, that's all I want to do. Um, he did. He was kind of married. He had <laughs> a partner, but he was trying to express to me the difference between... Uh, how much music meant, and when he would go on tour, he 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 really really was obsessed by music from a you know a, an engaging angle because he loved working with with every kind of person, not just Yurong, and that was a way for him to touch other people. The film's quite amazing, and it it, it shows this. Um, Have you all seen it? Yes. yes. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just you. used to talking to people who... We're not just making it up. <laughs> we do a modicum of research. We might be reading editorial. I know. The films I know. are this. Uh, but it no, was, I, uh, I cried for a good 40 yeah, minutes. I it was think. amazing because we, we got to see this this side of Gurumul that, um, you know, the public has never seen and he's, he seems... He's a funny guy, like, you know... <laughs> It was um, so. I guess you know what was that like for 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 him when he was you know listening back to it and how was he reacting to it? Well, like in the in the film, and it's really it's sad talking about it because you know he died last year. Mm. <clears throat> but when um, 
you'd be watching something like when the Archibald Prize happened. Mm. And when that happened, it was $50,000 prize money and all he was thinking about was, "Uh uh-oh, the family's going to think that I've got this money. (laughs) So in the the speech that we gave Guy, the artist who won it, we got him to read that out to say that we you didn't I didn't win this money so stop, don't ring me <laughs> and my, money changes hands extremely quickly in the your world Every, whatever is yours is it's everyone else's mm. you know well, 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 I was really taken about how funny he was just because I hadn't heard him speak very much before what do you think is the most surprising thing about Gurumul that people will discover in this film uh, it it probably is that that humor yeah I think uh, and also um, he got so involved in the film that when his father died, he was obsessed in bringing the film crew to the funeral. And that's one of the most amazing um, scenes in the film, that funeral. And it was almost like he was planning or part directing what he wanted to show. And we're all saying, oh, hang on, normally the the son of the person who's deceased doesn't organise the funeral. It's up to another clan. And he's going, no, no, trust me, we're going, we're going to shoot this. And it was extremely hot. It was the build-up in the Northern Territory and it was in early December and I'd just gone on holidays down to Melbourne but we all flew back up there to um, shoot this amazing funeral. Mm. Mm. All the way through the documentary we see these kind of clashes between two cultures. I mean, in some ways that's kind of the theme of it but the, the one that jumped out for me the most released jumped out at me quite a lot was a performance that Grumel gave with Sting. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Was it, was it one of the talk shows maybe? Yeah, Tara Tata, which is an enormous TV show in France. But um, Grumel doesn't know who Sting is and also he doesn't seem particularly interested in Sting, <laughs> whereas Sting comes across as quite the wanker. <laughs> yeah, he did. He In the film he did, but... Um, in real life, he was really welcoming. And when we got to the studio, um, he was wearing this huge great coat and he just came up and sort of welcomed G, with, you know, putting his coat around him. And I've just been listening to your album in the car all week, you know, trying to make this connection. And it was, it was a real connection. Um, there was, there was an, ele- an element with um, the way Sting worked where um, you j- whatever happens in the moment is what's going to happen. We're not going to rehearse this too much. They tried to rehearse that there's like eight, I've never seen so many cameras in a a television studio. There was like eight full-on cameras quite close. We had two rehearsals and G didn't sing a note. And so there's Sting going through the motions of every breath you take and no one's, G's just playing a long guitar. And everyone went crazy between that and the, on on live... um, it was a live thing of the show. Mm. But um, Sting didn't really, he wasn't that worried. So when we came back to do the the um, live segment when the audience is there and everything, and I spoke to Sting before it and he goes, don't worry, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll all work out fine. And he just wanted to go with whatever happened in, in the moment, which was, for me, it was kind of it was terrible at the time. But <laughs> looking back... <laughs> you look so stressed. <laughs> oh, everyone was stressed. <laughs> Um, yeah, but he he actually um, maybe didn't come across as well in the doco. 
Yeah. There's, um, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say there's this line, I can't remember if you say it in the film or someone else, where you're talking about Indigenous culture and you say um, if one tile a day oh, was yeah. falling off the Sydney Opera House, people would be up in arms about it and uh, you use that as an analogy for the way that we're losing uh, Indigenous stories and, and song lines and um, culture because we're not writing it down and we're not paying attention to it. It was a really sad, poignant moment for me, I think, in the film. How do you think we overcome that? That um, Well, that was a, the, ma- um, the manager of Skinny Fish, um, yeah. Mark, who um, it was his... Um, one of his visionary statements and he makes a lot but that was incredible that opera house tile statement because we have um, physical structures um, through history that we can rely on you know we can go to museums anywhere in the world and have these incredible physical structures that have been around for thousands of years Uh, and in Australia we have the opera house as this iconic building and so talking about the tiles uh, falling off there are songs being lost every day um, when he says there's nothing, no one's doing anything about it, I think people are. I think from when I was a child here in Melbourne through to now, there's a lot more knowledge about, say, I grew up down in Sandringham and there's a lot known about um, cultural stuff from there. You know, um, I'm mates with Briggs who I learn more and more every day about cultural stuff, you know, in, in Shep and... I think things are bubbling and an album like this or a film like this brings it all to the surface again and it can show us what what there is to know, you know. It's yeah. not just this wasteland. So let's talk about the movie Grimmel. It's, as I said, being released on the 25th of April, but you're doing some events, right? You're playing the Astor with Paul Kelly. Well, well Paul was a, um, a mate. He was involved in the first um, Big Song Treaty with the Indian and G was on that too, playing keyboard. So they've kind of known each other for that long and then they did Amazing Grace together last year, oh, the year before last. So um, he's coming along. But, yeah, there's there's a couple of preview screenings for the film, um, one here and one in Sydney, and then it comes out April 25. And there's a triple R subscriber screening at the Nova on the 24th April that subscribers can come along. As we said, the movie's out everywhere on the 25th of April. It's called Gurumal. We've been talking to Michael Honan, Gurumal's musical collaborator and producer. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure being here with this coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Three triple R. You are listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. It is Wednesday morning, 6.15 almost, which means it is time for Wednesday. Um, Jeff, I believe you had a dare to do? Yes, this has been a long-running dare, hasn't it? This The dare that never was. <laughs> <laughs> so this came out of you talking about how you needed something to do with your hands. Oh, yes. How, what was the original context for that? Oh, Just on public to transport? To keep her off or? her phone we'll during a comedy phone. festival. That's, that's yeah. right. I've we been d- on my phone a lot. <laughs> we discussed various options and knitting and so forth. Yes. And one of the listeners... Paper cranes. One of the listeners texted in and said, you could say the rosary. Mm-hmm. But uh, so 
you were going to do that for your dare and you, in fact, told us that you had done it for your dare, but that turned out to be a lie. The number of people who have come up to me... (laughs) The number of people who have come up to me and said, oh, I was listening to that story. It was so great. And then she got to the end and said it wasn't true. I'm a gifted storyteller. What can I say? (laughs) Trust was shattered. (laughs) Anyway, so I had to go and uh, say the rosary on the tram. Yes. That was my dare. So... I think getting on a tram for you is is enough of a dare, but yeah, let's add it. Yeah, well, that's true, actually. Yeah. Right, we done all those people. <laughs> no? oh. So I went off to that because um, I don't have a rosary, so I had to get one first. Yes. So I went off to that church, the Catholic shop in um, Jesus Saint Francis. Yeah, that would have been expensive. Well, no. Strangely, there are many oh. budget options at that. Bargain <laughs> basement plastic beads. <laughs> Jeez. I I don't have as you know I don't have a, a Catholic background but um that place is something else that all the stuff you can buy it's yeah. like a farm it's like a bazaar you know yeah you, you, um I don't well, know, many, this is, it's exciting when you get a gift voucher for the Catholic it's like going store. into a magic shop and it all is. of those things so I got a little bit distracted. <laughs> So I did get some rosaries, but I, 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 I got you guys some presents as well. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. They were selling magic hey, charms. Big spender. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there was magic charms. Well, anyway, they were selling um, little things. Oh, my goodness. So, well, don't ah. get too excited. They're worth like $2 each. No, it's, it's not about how much it costs, Jeff. It's the thought that's Well, that's right. It. And a lot of thought did go into these because you can buy these little Saint people. Oh yeah, for, for various afflictions and you can collect kinds. them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I tried, and they had a whole they had a whole drawers of them. They're all linked to different things that you could get, like that. Yes, for example, um, Saint Christopher for traveling or yes. whatever. So Saint tra- Anthony for finding for, things. Yes. Well, that's right. So I tried to think of ones that would be relevant to you because I know you got the comedy festival on. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of. Help. So I tried to find me, the the. Can I guess what you got me? Sure. Based on the comedy festival, yes. Did you get me Saint Lawrence, who is the patron saint of comedy and comedians? Is it no. really a patron saint of comedians? Mm. When did oh. that happen? Oh, who knows? But he's is um they get added things get added to them all the time. What was his back oh. backstory? Oh, Lawrence. He, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he's just been made up. <laughs> No, 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 it's true. He's one of my, obviously one of my favourite saints. Um, but he, uh, he, he was left in charge of the, of the church for a bit and he, um, he just took all the riches of the church and gave it away to the poor. Like oh. he just took everything and then, and then people came back and they were like, um, excuse me, where, where is everything? And he went, oh, I've, you know, and they went, all right, you've got um, two days to get it all back. He was Spanish. Yeah, and two days to get it all back. And then... Um, so he said, oh, no problem. And then he came back with all the poor and the destitute and the homeless and said, here are the riches of the church. And then they oh, went, what a that, is, that is no wow. good. Wow. That's no good. And then, but he was um, martyred. So, and he was um, put on a on a grill and legend has it that... Um, He's put on a grill? Is yes. this the funny bit? Jeez, it took a dark... It's very, I know. Dark, dark comedy. <laughs> this I don't know what you're expecting with you know, <laughs> medieval yeah, times. That's you know. true. Uh, so he was put on a grill, but legend has it that he um, said to his uh, um, person... Grilling him. Yeah, said, I think I'm done on this side. You might want to turn me over, which is also why he's the patron saint of cooks. Are you for real? I'm absolutely... You can that is, I'm, read, that. I'm reading about him right now. That yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Right, well... Funny no. in life, funny <laughs> yeah. in death. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I couldn't find him. I wasn't aware of him. So the one I got for you was uh, 
St. Clair, who's the patron saint of television. That was the closest oh, I could find. yes. Do you know why she's the patron saint of television? No. <laughs> I because feel like I'm <laughs> preaching to the converted here. <laughs> I'm learning everything. I'm learning this stuff. Obviously, she was around before the time of TV, but uh, she had a vision of – she was too sick to go to Christmas Mass and she really wanted to go, but she had a vision of it anyway, like she was watching it on oh. TV. Well, there you go. There she is. Thank you. I'm going to be on TV. And, uh, Sarah, I was trying to find one for you. And I was trying to find like a football one, maybe. Oh, the what? <laughs> you know, I have other things in my life other than football, but well, thank you. Well, it seems to be the main I thing. appreciate it. Thank you. Anyway, I couldn't find one. There was one that um, was the painter said Brewers. And I thought yeah, that one might do. <laughs> no, I was going to get that. But she, they, they were all gone. Oh. They were, they oh. were empty. <laughs> uh, so the best I could do for you, yes. I was trying to think one of your, for your team, maybe like your lackey, you know, like your for tigers. the Hawthorne. Okay, sure. Well, why not? But they didn't have that either. Uh. So then I was thinking about how on Saturday you told me you got that heat rash when you were at the football. Okay, we didn't talk about that on air. So, so just got- so you know, that was something that I told you off air. Oh, okay. Well, then I got you St. Anthony. I'm not even going to say, this is ridiculous. What is St. Anthony going to do? Help him. me find my heat rash. <laughs> Why would you tell everyone that? Anyway. Oh. <laughs> so he's the patron Thank saint. Thank you, St. Anthony. Yes. There you go. Thanks, Anthony. I'm going to help me patron saint in my freaking heat rash. Everyone knows I got now. It's on my thigh, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Tell us about your rash. Tell us about your rash. Anyway, so then I also went and got my rosary beads. Yes. Um, they're very nice. No, Are they're they? not. They're the Hold cheapest. They're, um, oh, they're quite lovely, though. Yeah. Well, Give them a little nice. rattle into the microphone for people. <laughs> I told them that um, I was going to be in a play. So that's um. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I didn't want to tell them it was like for a radio thing, so I told them it's. Real- <laughs> How's that different? How, how, what is the difference between? And why are you taking Rosary Beats to a play? Because that was like for a play performance. And, oh, that you were yeah. in. Oh, and oh. why did you feel it needed an explanation? Well, because I didn't know what they were. Like I was looking, I didn't know where to find them. Whatever, so I had to get directed, to, and it was clear that I didn't know what I was doing there. Okay. So anyway, I got my um. He's actually the patron saint of lost things, Anthony. Yeah. Oh, my- dignity. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, um, this has been the greatest. <laughs> anyway, so I got my rosary beads and I got on the tram going up and down the free tram zone in the city. Yes. Because um, I didn't want to pay for it. And I have to say it was all a bit anticlimactic. Really? Yeah, I got on there. I had them on my neck. You had them on your <laughs> neck? I don't believe you. Did you really? Yeah. And um, <laughs> no one took any notice. So... <laughs> What would you have done if one of your socialist friends had got on the tram? Well, you were sitting there with the rosary beads around your neck. And then I thought, but part of the problem was there were so many people on the tram. I feel like no one was really, you know, everyone's just looking to their own yeah, yeah, yeah. thing and no one's really taking any notice. What, were, you, were you doing anything? Or were you oh, just... Well, I wasn't on the way up, but on the way back when there were less people and I sat down and mm-hmm. I started like trying to chant stuff. <laughs> like, you know, because that's what you do, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't really know what to chant, so I just chanted hail. So what did you say? I just said hail Mary. In the, how loud? <laughs> well, I just under my breath, but to be honest. Were you now, holding the beads as Yeah, you I was this? like, you have them around your neck. And what did you say? You just. What did you do? You just rub around the beads. And, and you then say, you said hail Mary. Hail, hail Mary, Mary, hail Mary, hail, hail, hail Mary. <laughs> and um, again, no one really took any notice of me. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of 
little children who were giving me funny looks, but I think that was just... Yeah. The parents <laughs> told them to stay away from you. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, well, that is um, <laughs> terrific. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, you it's okay <laughs> to be on the tram with rosary beads and nobody cares. No, no, you're right. <laughs> also, you don't have to wear them around your neck. I, think <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever worn rosary beads around their neck. <laughs> but well well done. Um, you can, the, I think, uh, is it back to you for the dare now? Or is it? No, nah, it's you. Oh, it is me. Yeah, it's my yeah. turn again. See if so. you can do it this time. See if you can up Jeff on that. <laughs> I think I think we need to move on. I think we've peaked with the rosary beads. I think we'll move on to, to something else. So I don't know if you, you don't have anything prepared yet, do you? I don't know. That's all right. All right. Think of it later. To be continued. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R in Melbourne, Australia. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Time to talk about food here on Breakfast. It's time to talk to Larissa Dubesky. How are you going? I'm pretty good, thanks. Uh, We're talking about low food in high places. Uh Uh-huh, we are. Specifically, we're talking about Vegemite. Vegemite is having a moment, people. (laughs) Is it? Well, I was scrolling through um, Attica's Instagram feed the other day, being a complete food nerd, and um, so Ben Shuri has now come up with a dish called Vegemite and Salada. And, you know, you could say that... (laughs) I came up with that dish a long time (laughs) ago. My mum came up with that dish and it was damn good. But I find it kind of hilarious that what is purportedly Australia's very best restaurant, if you listen to the world's 50 best restaurant list, um, is now serving up Vegemite. And it's not the first time that Ben Shuri has done Vegemite, by the way. A couple of years ago, he introduced what he called Gaz's Meat Pie, which was like this little lamb in phyllo Vegemite pastry. Oh. So, you know, he's, he's on a roll here. He's I riffing on it. the old veg. And, um, what is, it's not actually Vegemite on a biscuit, is it? Yeah, it's just a salada with Vegemite. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, it, was, it, it actually comes with the, the disclaimer, our Vegemite, our salada. So mm-hmm. it's riffing on the, the fact that Vegemite tastes a lot like black garlic, which is like super, super trendy ingredient. Black garlic is is a fermented product. So you oh. take, I, I, yeah, I don't know the convoluted process, but you basically take a bulb of garlic, you ferment it for about 10 years and, you know, virgins <laughs> wave palm fronts over it and you wind up with this sort of pasty black, very deeply umami kind of product that's wow. very Vegemite-esque. And so Ben's recognised that in his doing his, you know, baking his own little saladas and I'm using my air inverted commas <laughs> that nobody listening can hear. Um, yeah, but basically Vegemite's also having a moment in the sun, so it's not just Attica that's doing it. So around town you'll find some really interesting restaurants who are using the real Vegemite. So if you go to Anchovy, this one of my favourite restaurants on Ridge Street in Richmond, Tilly, who's the chef there, she's riffing on Vegemite and that Laughing Cow brown cheese, you know that? Oh, yeah. 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 You know that funny one that you, you survive on when you're a backpacker in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> so she's doing something weird with Vegemite. Vegemite and Laughing Cow and sort of deep frying it. Um, And then Heston Blumenthal, you know, crazy Mm. Heston, um, at dinner by Heston at um, the, well, at Crown Casino, Mm. you. Um, (laughs) He is doing a $30 Vegemite and 
ice cream and Vegemite dish. Have you had that? Yeah. Um, I think I have. He introduced it about a year ago and I have a vague memory at the end of a very, very boozy lunch that I might have imbibed <laughs> it. I was going to say, what did it taste like? Yeah. But maybe your memory's not Don't, don't might ask. Have been, might have just been an ice cream for 7-Eleven <laughs> and a tub of Vegemite. Quite, quite possibly. And so, yeah, there's just all sorts of really interesting things going on with Vegemite. So what makes uh, something fashionable? Why suddenly Vegemite? Well, I was trying to think about it. And, and one of the things I came up with was it's about this chef diaspora at the moment. So, you know, chefs are really travelling around the world and they're becoming obsessed with the ingredients they encounter, these unusual, the hyper-local ingredients. So, for example, Ben Shuri, he's a New Zealander, right? And he's gone deep into the whole Australian oeuvre recently. Um, and then... In Sydney, you've got this um, American guy called Chase Kojima and he's at this restaurant called Sokyo and he has been in Australia for about seven years and he was saying in an interview that he's just become obsessed with Vegemite because it's like Australia's miso. And so he does things like, um, you know, Vegemite roasted almonds just as a bar snack and he's even done like little Vegemite toast croutons that he serves up with poached Morton Bay bug. And, wow. you know, it's so it's almost like, you know, they're bringing this outsider's perspective in to say, hey, Vegemite is not, not just for the kids' lunchboxes, but, you know, we yeah. can sort of fancy it up a bit. It's funny how we're, we're so obsessed by, by Vegemite, but we really only ever have it like a cheese and Vegemite sandwich or Vegemite on, on toast. Yeah, we don't have yeah. it any other way. Mm. But, and, but then they introduced it into, the, they had that Vegemite chocolate. Did you ever have that? Oh, no, no, but I have some friends who did and they said it was just sort of like salted caramel. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Yeah, I think Smith's Smith did a Vegemite chips at one point. I think was it, it was Smith's, yeah. yeah, someone yeah. did, yeah. Yeah, there have been all, all these weird sort of low and high permutations of the Vegemite thing. And the, and the Vegemite company, which is, it was, bought back by Beager, I think, a couple of years ago from Kraft. They re- last year they released this Vegemite Recipe 17 and it's almost like, you know, the Royal Hennessy Exo-Cognac <laughs> of Vegemite. <laughs> so it costs basically double what normal Vegemite does, but it comes with the gold lid. And they said that they tweaked the recipe to make it a bit fancier, but nobody can really taste the difference. So, right. yeah. I'm a big fan of um, Vegemite uh, on toast with avocado. Mm. And then yeah, um, yeah. A lot of people say that like, I've never actually tried it. Oh, so good! And yeah. I'll uh, you know like um, have like tomato and cheese and stuff on top of that yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I started cooking with it recently because I've taken inspiration from these chefs, and I thought, well, if they're saying it's so good, and basically, you know, it's generally seen in a lot of ways as a flavour enhancer. So it's basically an MSG bomb. Right, yeah. so all of the good and bad that entails. And, you know, the science is still out whether MSG is actually, you know, the devil incarnate or if it's actually just something that's totally fine and, you mm. know, you can eat it, <laughs> you know, go for it. But I am obsessed with spaghetti bolognese. I'm, you know, pretty low grade in my home cooking, <laughs> but I just love a really good spag bowl. Um, and I've started putting Vegemite in the spag bowl, oh. right? So normally I put Worcester, like Worcestershire yeah. sauce yeah. to give it its stew. But I ran out one day and I thought, well, you know, what's a substitute? And I was almost going to put vinegar in because it's like, you know, sharp flavour you're after. Mm. But I tried the old veg and it worked really, really Nailed well. It. I have yeah. to say the only time I'd like it at all is when I'm really hungover. We had it the... Yeah. Um, Maybe this is talking out of term. We had it the other day when we had all been out late or something and um, we got it over from the cafe over and it was just perfect Vegemite on toast. But I never thought it actually tasted very nice. It was more just like, you know, Vegemite and butter is like fat and salt 
Yeah. What's mm. wrong with fat and salt? But they're pretty basic, aren't they? Are you saying that you actually you ordered Vegemite on toast at a cafe? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, got a, we had it here. Oh, the shame of it. I know, Seriously, right? that's just something to do in the privacy of your own home. So these dishes, though, do you think they're a novelty thing? Is that, or do you think they're actually something think, people are going to like? I think they're partly a novelty thing. I think when a chef puts the word Vegemite on a menu, it's sort of a statement of intent saying, look how wacky and sort of forward-thinking I am. But um, I think as an ingredient, it might actually have a big, bit of longevity. Are there so, any other kind of common products that have been popular in the past 10 years like that, like similar to yeah. Vegemite? There, there are some others like Kewpie Mayo. Have you have you encountered oh, yeah, the odd yeah. Kewpie lately? It's yeah. that very cute Japanese brand, of course, because it's got the baby on the bottle. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's, it's really a triumph it. of marketing. I love it. Yeah, I've got yeah. one in my fridge. It looks like an intestine yes. that's been <laughs> wrung out. It's, you know, we're nearly at the end. But Kewpie has also made this giant leap to, um, to restaurants. So Andrew McConnell, you know, Kewpie. Cumulus Inc. and Supernormal and all yeah. of those. His, um, you know, very famous uh, lobster roll. You know those lobster rolls that Melbourne's nuts for? Kewpie. And, oh, yeah, wow. and a lot, a lot of chefs are using the Kewpie mayo. And another reason it's got a similarity to Vegemite, you wouldn't probably pick it initially, it's also an MSG bomb. Oh. So that's oh. why everyone just loves it. Is anyone um, yeah. doing anything with Milo? Oh, not that I've heard of, but they should. Yeah. putting it out there. You yeah. heard it here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't know that Vegemite was MSG. Yeah. Wow. Heavily, heavily. And the, the company says it's naturally occurring MSG because, you know, MSG is actually the artificial version of glutamates. Not that I have a science degree or anything, but the glutamate is an amino acid and that's sort of where your basic umami flavour comes from. Oh. MSG is the... The, the laboratory devised version of that. I've yeah. probably got it horribly wrong and nah. you're about to get 10 million calls nah. from scientists. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's my basic understanding of it. Oh, and wow. all of these products are high in glutamates. So, and they're the thing that makes the brain go ping, I want more of that. Mm. So, and that's why my spag bowl works so well because you've got the really slow-cooked meat which brings out the glutamates in it and you add parmesan which is very high in umami slash msg and then you stick in your vegemite and basically it's just a flavor explosion wow yeah. no. all right, all right. so if someone wants to order this vegemite salata yeah. concoction how much was it 275 dollars for the degustation <gasps> at attica plus you have to book three months in advance to get a seat but, you know, it's worth trying. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just go and make one at home. It'll be a little bit cheaper than that. Thank you so much, Lewis. We'll see you again soon. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.